stories brought to you by Refuge Ministries Canada. For the next half hour, your hearts will be filled with hope as you hear real-life stories from individuals that have been changed by the power of God. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Refuge Freedom Stories. I'm your guest host, Sean McKenzie. On this week's show, we're proud to introduce to you William Wally. He's deep fried, double wide, and more importantly, saved by the grace of God. William served as a correctional officer, and we're going to discuss how God's grace and his situations and in his life has transformed him. William, welcome to Refuge Freedom Stories. Well, first of all, thank you for the invitation. I'm glad you guys reached out to me. And I am deep fried. I was born and raised in the deep south of the United States. And I'm double wide because uh, I'm deep fried to start with. That's why I'm double wide. And just purely amazed by God's glory that he would take a wretched old you know, sinner like me and try to save me. And I'd try every day, try to glorify him through my actions and through my words. So I'm, I'm glad to be here. I, I really appreciate the invitation. Johnny, thank you for reaching out to me, brother. It's awesome how we are able to connect via the different mediums to be able to do this. So we're going to just jump right on in. I want to go a little bit beyond the brief bio introduced to you. That was a fun little bio, but tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to work in corrections. Well, the the corrections industry, and I did, and off and on, I did work uh, right at a little over a decade, closer to 12 years, probably off and on in different facilities. I'm really fortunate. I was raised by two parents that believe the scripture where it talks about where if a man does not eat, he should not afford the, the opportunity to eat. And so from a very young age, my parents raised me to work. So I had jobs essentially from the time I was 13 or 14 years old, you know, and then of course when I got 15 and 16 years old, I'm old enough at this point that back then, you know, that was a taxable job at that point. So I've had all type of employment opportunities. My corrections time probably was my most taxing in all my relationships because that's a very stressful situation to be placed in every day. I've had a lot of other different types of jobs that have been different levels of stress, especially on my relationships, especially with God. But like I said, it just it was just pure coincidence I ended up in corrections, actually. I actually was a delivery guy. I was delivering to a facility, and as I was delivering an order, the deputy warden looked at me and said, you put a big old boy. I said, yes, sir. I said, I've been this big most of my life. And he goes, I believe you'd be ideal for this line of work. And I said, well, what kind of work are you talking about? He said, well, he said, how would you, what would you think about being a guard here? And I said, well, I sure. I mean, I, I was, you know, naive enough to believe that a big old boy was going to just automatically get respect from the guys that were locked up behind the wall. And I, I learned very quickly that that was not the case. Like I said, there was a lot of challenges as I went through that chapter in my life. But like I said, I've had other employment opportunities that have pushed me like that. Not quite to that level. That was probably the most stressful time of my life when it came trying to balance my relationship with God and my responsibility to Him with my work responsibilities because it's a pretty hellish place. It doesn't matter what level of corrections you work in or what country you actually work in. It's it's rough. It's really rough. And uh, I got a lot of law enforcement and correctional brothers out there that couldn't handle it. They either washed out or they burned out, or worst of all, they ended up ending their own life because of their strife and their strain. That's a situation that I enjoyed my time there because I learned quite a bit, but I'm glad God opened up doors to get me out of that also. I I have many friends as well. I've served as a chaplain. I've worked with people coming in and out of the prison system. And I've heard it said that working in corrections, you see either God's light 
or the devil's darkness. Would you say that's accurate? Well, I have stared into the eyes of folk that I'm 100% sure that the devil had full control of. And I have witnessed and talked to a lot of inmates or, or, or convicts, as they refer to sometimes, that have truly found God. You hear the story about they went to prison and found God, and you think, oh, it's just a story. But I actually witnessed that. I've, I've seen some guys that reached that point. It's hard to witness to folks, you know, when they're throwing urine and feces. It's hard to witness to them when, you know, you're having a plate, an actual serving tray that's been lit on fire thrown at you. It's hard. And I didn't do the best job in the world. I'm the first one to admit that I failed miserably at times trying to be that image of hope to some guys and some Females that I encountered just had no reason to need, they needed hope. They just felt like they couldn't find it. And I failed miserably at times trying to show them that light. But the beautiful thing is you had your faith. You know, you grew up with parents who instilled faith in you. Talk to a little bit about your faith journey and, and what God has taken you through. Well, here's where my story gets really crazy. Like I said, I was raised by two parents that were the absolute, you know, and I'm being biased because they're mine, but they were two of the best stuff that a kid could ever ask for. And I was always raised in the church. I was raised, and I'm going to say this, I was raised in the Methodist church. I'm not going to say I was raised in the Methodist faith because I'm going to explain that in just a second. I was raised in the Methodist church. I made my first revival at two weeks old. Now, I don't remember it, but they said I was there, so I'm going to have to go with that. My grandfather, my dad's father, was a Methodist minister for 32 years. I heard more sermons being practiced in my lifetime. That's what's so ironic is because I later in life actually surrendered to youth ministry because the Lord wasn't calling me for vocational, like pulpit style ministry. But I did see him open doors of opportunity for me to actually affect the lives of young people through my stories and, and you know stuff that had happened to me. So I surrendered to ministry and was licensed you know, in youth ministry later in life. And I look back on my days when I was a youth and you know, I, I thought that I was saved. I thought I was following God's path, but I learned very quickly that I was just going through the motions, as they say. There was times in my adolescence and my youth that I don't know why in the world the Lord kept me around because I did some really foolish, stupid things. I, I tampered with drugs, you know, experimented with drugs. Alcohol was a big deal. When I was a teenager, man, alcohol was a huge deal in my life. Alcohol, at one point, consumed me and controlled me. All through my college time, not, I'm going to say a raging alcoholic, but I drank entirely too much. I tell people, you know, years later, I tell them, I said, yes, I was just building my testimony because the Lord did see fit to help me survive those years so I could then share those stories with other young people and try to guide them away from that ignorance and nonsense that I went through. I've reached a point, though, as I was coming through, as I went through college, I actually met my now wife. We knew each other previously. We actually attended the same high school. She was a couple of grades behind me. I knew who she was and she knew who I was. And I tell people, people ask me all the time, what kind of love story did we have? Well, it's real simple. The first time that we met, I didn't think too much of her and she didn't think anything of me. Tells people constantly that she just thought I was just a bumbling clown. That'd be the best way to explain it. We met again in college, fell you know, deeply in love. We actually, we here's where, and I'm, I'm an old school guy. I'm 51 years old. And back when I was in high school and college, my generation, we got everything out of order. Probably a dozen friends of mine 
that ended up getting married because they had children first. And they got the order out of out of whack. So we actually found out that she was pregnant. I, I'll never forget the, the conversation we had with their parents. I think her father even threatened to like take me outside and beat me with a I don't crab apple limb or something. I don't remember. It was, a, <laughs> it was a limb off of some tree nearby. I don't remember what it was. We were young and dumb, and we didn't know any better. And we went through a crazy first you know, three or four years. It was insane. That's where, in the first part, the infancy of our marriage is where I realized that I wasn't saved. I, I could quote you scripture, and I could tell you about God, but I didn't know anything about it. I did not have any form of relationship with it. And then I, I had a crazy timeline. We end up finding out that she's pregnant. She delivers our first child. That is in August of 1990. In February of 91, we get married. But in December of 91, my father passes away. All this, you know, and for a kid, and I was still a kid. And I was 20 years old. I didn't turn 21 to two weeks after my father. We buried my father. So I was a child. I, I, well, I mean, I was an adult, according to a lot of folks. But I, I still had that childlike mentality. And, and it was a lot for me. I mean, I couldn't. I just didn't handle it well. And I wasn't handling the situation well at all. I wasn't treating people right at all. I didn't treat her well at all. We had a lot of bickering going on and we had a lot of strife within the marriage. And we weren't going to make it. It was just that simple. We were not going to make it. And I had a really good friend of mine, probably one of the very reasons that I survived my teen years, a gentleman named Elwood D'Angelo from right here in the town that I live in. He introduced me when I was a teenager to computers. And I'm telling you, I'm old enough. He, he got me started on, on the infancy of computers, stuff like Commodores and stuff like that. And nobody even knows what we're talking about now. Like, That's right. Young people have no idea what I'm talking about. And we we dabbled and we you know we downloaded games and we or we, you actually had floppy disk. And I know a lot of your younger listeners have no idea what I'm talking about now. But he introduced me to that world. And although I was an athlete, I still had a little bit of that nerd. And, you know, I, that was very uncomfortable nerd. And I was trying to balance the two. You know, I, I, I enjoyed doing that kind of stuff, but also enjoyed sports. I thought I needed to have sports to be popular in school, to, to have more relationships. You know, you know, the I want to be in the in crowd, the click. So I was balancing those two. Like I said, I end up going to college. We end up getting married. You know, I have a child now. I'm 21 years old, a child having to work every day. So I had to drop out of school. She she continued to go to school. I dropped out. Got a job trying to work, and it just wasn't working. I mean, I was ready to call it quits. And I knew my mom was in no situation to take the news that I was. You know, I was thinking about getting a divorce, and because she was grieving. You know, we were all grieving for my dad, but it was hitting her extremely hard because they had been married for you know 30 some odd years at that point. So then my buddy Elwood, he called me one day just out of the blue. And he said, hey, he said, what are you doing next weekend? And this was in June of 92, like the, somewhere around 18th or 19th of June. And I said, I'm nothing. I mean, I'm off. He said, well, he said, go to Dallas, Texas with me. We're taking a group from the church. And I said, oh, no, no. When he said church, I was like, no, I don't want. He goes, no, seriously, you're going to want to go to this. You're going to really enjoy it. And then I got to thinking, well, I'm off. I don't want to be home. I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to deal with the wife and the child. And I said, sure, I'll go. So we load up with this group of guys. A few of them I knew, but a lot of them I met for the first time. And we take off Dallas, Texas, to where the Dallas Cowboys originally played at Texas Stadium, you know, with the roof missing, you know, because God could watch his favorite football team play. That's what That's they used right. to say. It held 60-some-odd thousand people. I, we walk into this event that they got going on, and it's an event, and I'm not even sure if this event still is around because I know the original founder passed away, but it was uh, called an event called Promise Keepers, which was a huge regional thing. 
packed, man. Yes. And I walk yeah. into Texas Stadium that I'd never been to before, which was amazing because I'm a sports guy. So I was blown away by it. And then I walk off the concourse, and there's 50 or 60,000 guys just everywhere. And it's full-blown worship experience with preaching and music and the whole ball of wax. But something happened there. The very first night after the introduction, the very first speech, and they had like six guys speaking now, six pretty well-known guys. And they had this one guy that nobody really knew. To this day, I don't remember his name, but he was the chaplain of the Colorado, University of Colorado Buffaloes football team, which is the gentleman that started it was the coach of that team at one point. That's how he knew it. And he got up, he started talking about the emptiness that you have when you don't have the Holy Spirit in your life. Because he starts off with an illustration, and I'm going to have to best to everybody now. I've used the same illustration with young people for years now. He asked all these grown, these alpha males, you know, how far can you throw a football? And he threw out a number, and you know, they raised their hand. And they threw out a number, and they raised their hand. And it got up to about... 60 yards and, and and there was still these this one arrogant guy sitting way up in the top right he said so you can throw it 60 yards and the guy threw his hand up again he said well come on down so he lets this guy uh, down about two concourse levels i mean it's a good four or five minutes while he's walking down and as he's walking down he reaches under the podium that he's got and he holds up a football and the football is completely flat. I mean, there's not an ounce of air in the football. And he says, let's see you throw this 60 yards. And the guy just throws his hands up and then goes back up to his seat. And then he started talking about this is how you are when you don't have the fullness of the Holy Spirit in your body. And I don't know what it was at that moment, but that clicked in my brain. And from that point on, this was a three-day event. Now, this was a Friday, Saturday, and we went home on Sunday morning. I cannot tell you two other things that happened at that conference for the rest of the weekend because I was just so zoned in on what he said. It just kept reverberating in my head. So I wrestled with it that whole first night. Next day, we got, up, we got ready to go. We had preps. We went to the stadium. And I told Mr. Elwood, I, I said, Mr. Elwood, I said, I've got to step out my phone call. Well, this was back in the infancy of cell phone. And, of course, I didn't have one. So he said, just wait till we get back to the hotel. So I did. I, I struggled through the day till we get back to the hotel. And I went back. And I said, I got to call my wife. And we had about a 40-minute long conversation at the hotel. And I just was ranting. I mean, I was just just rambling. I was just spilling my soul out to her. And at the end of it, she listened to every word of it. And it's a good 20, 25 minutes long. And at the very end of it, she said, are you drunk? She said, aren't you supposed to be at a at a church conference? And I said, no, I'm not drunk. She goes, and I said, you don't believe me? And she said, I do. And that's what scares me the most. And from that day forward, it was a totally different situation. Like I made a conscious effort to be the type of, first of all, the type of human being I needed to be. And then a husband. And then, you know, back into my Bible, reading my Bible like I was supposed to. And mm. actually trying to be that light to other people. Amen. Amen. And from that point on, I mean, it was everything just started falling in place. You know, I, I, I got saved. I went back to went back to my home church at that point and walked the aisle. Was saved. Was baptized. Uh, everything was you know was going great. About three months later, the Lord put on my heart. I need to get into youth ministry. I, I need to be that vessel. And and you know, I surrendered to youth ministry. Was licensed about six months later. Uh, I ended up over a twenty five. Let's see. I, I officially stepped away from youth ministry this past December 
you don't ever step away from ministry, but I stepped away from a, a weekly you know, capacity. Uh, I still do youth conferences and I speak at different places and stuff like that about my experience. And like I said, except for about a five year stretch where my job kept me in a situation where I was not able to serve in a church somewhere. I served in a total of six churches in about 25 years. And like I said, I mean, it's a daily struggle. Everything, every job that I've ever had or every situation that we've come up with from a relationship standpoint or every obstacle that the devil's tried to throw in front of us, we've always handled it. My wife and I have been married now 31 years. We've got, you know, I got three grown children. My oldest one is, you know, married and out doing her own thing. My son, my middle child, just graduated college. He just, you know, he just entered the workforce. And my youngest daughter will be 21 in February and she's finishing up college. So, I mean, we've been extremely blessed. It's beautiful when we surrender to our loving father, to God, how he will transform our lives. So he took you through corrections. He took you into youth ministry. You could share from either or, whether it was corrections or you work in youth ministry, what's something that really stands out? What really stood out to you? A time where you saw God capture somebody like he captured you that day in Dallas. Well, here's a high and low. And like I said, corrections was a dark time because the devil has such a hold on that whole entire subgroup of people and it was such a difficult task in the state you know wasn't always real cooperative about you trying to help but from a youth ministry standpoint here's a high and a low part there was a day where you know I'd, I'd gone through months of ministry with this certain group of young people certain group of young men and at nearing the end of like a traditional end of a church here start of a new one they all approached me and wanted to be baptized I had that discussion with them. We brought them to Christ. I was able to baptize four young men all on one Sunday. The most baptisms I'd ever done at one time in my history of ministry. And then probably my lowest point in youth ministry is I had a young man. It was I was just a Sunday school teacher. I was not at that time not an active. I wasn't serving actively, but I was serving as a, as a young man, high school boys, Sunday school teacher. And I tried to get through to him and I thought I was making real progress. And then I ended up getting called to another church. And about a year after I got called to another church, I got a call saying that they had found him. He ended up committing suicide. He shot himself because he just couldn't deal with it any longer. I think he was 19 years old. I just hate to see a young life like that exterminated. I mean, he extinguished his own life without you know, somebody being able to get through to him. So, I mean, that's that's the highs and lows. That's the kind of stuff that tests your faith. And then it also, you know, reciprocates your faith in the same. That's two examples right there. That's the polar opposite of each other. And it's hard. I tell people all the time. If you think you want to be a Christian, you better be ready. It's a battle every day, and you go to war every day. If you're if you're a truly blood-bought Christian, you go to war every day against the devil. William, in two minutes or less, what mm-hmm. do you want to leave with people? What's that one thing about God or one thought about God that you'd like to leave our audience with? Probably the one thing if I had to share with somebody is, you know, everybody's broken. At some point in your life, you're broken, but you have to choose what level of broken you are. You know, broken people can be saved just like people that think that they're whole because that's a a misconception. Nobody's ever truly whole, but I choose and I'm broken every day. I tell people I'm still a broken person. I'm a sinner saved by grace, broken every day, but I choose to be broken for a different reason. I choose to be broken open as a vessel to be filled up with his word so I can pour it back over other people. Beautiful. 
Well, William, what a pleasure to get to meet you via this medium, but we we seem like we're co-brothers in Christ because I know what that's like to be working with somebody. I've worked with many people uh, at out and inside corrections and with youth, and there's nothing better than to watch somebody who might have been you at one point. I know I, I walked with a few of them that were me, I've and I tell myself, them that. I've seen myself in a lot of young faces. And it's beautiful to see those lives transformed. Uh, so what are you doing now with your life? Kind of give us a little snapshot of, of what you're doing currently. Well, I'm, I'm actually right now, my actual real job, my regular job is I'm in grocery retail. I'm a I'm dairy manager at a local supermarket here in my area. Maybe fixing to do a little job transition. I got a couple things in the work. And of course, I podcast on the side. I've been really, Lord's really blessed my podcast. It's called World of Wally. It can be found anywhere you look up. You know, anywhere you there's a platform to hear a podcast that we're on it. And I've got a couple of new projects. We're we're actually branching out. We're gonna become I'm technically that podcast is morphed into what's called the Wally Media Group now because I have other projects that we're gonna start in twenty twenty two. So be on the lookout for that. Matter of fact, one of the projects is with a, a gentleman out of Oklahoma. He is a evangelist. His name is Kelly Cop. He goes by Kelly K on all his social media. And he's an amazing guy. I've, I've been following him on YouTube for years. I actually interviewed him and then and then I reached back out to him and he is super excited about a project that he and I are going to work together and it's called Finding the Way with Kelly K and what do we deal with? We deal with real questions from real people about God and we cut through all the BS and we tell them the real truth about God. William Thank you for being so gracious with your time and blessings to you for what you have done and blessings to you on what God is laying on your path as you move forward. Well, guys, I can't thank you enough for, for asking me to come on. I've really enjoyed this time with you. And anybody out there, check out Refuge. It's amazing. It's not just because I'm on here this week. It's because they're an amazing concept. And anytime you put God's word out there, it doesn't matter how you put it out, as long as you put it out. Exactly. And I'm speaking to my plan 
Memphis, Tennessee Had my head down, eyes closed Working real hard to keep the groove alive At the end of my show A gentleman came walking up to me Said, Danny boy My name is Rusty McFarlane And I want to take you down the music road Take you around the whole wide world Happens all the time, folks When least expected Fate Come tumbling right on in And the moral of the story No matter who you are No matter where you are No matter what you're doing You better be giving it your all And all And then some Cause you never know enjoyed the last half hour as much as I did. Thank you again to Refuge Ministries Canada for hosting the show. So until next Friday, may God richly bless you with peace, love, and happiness. We at Refuge Ministries are so blessed by the success of Refuge Freedom Stories and podcasts. In addition, we focus on youth prison ministry, release kits, and many other diverse outreaches to the needs of our community. As a nonprofit, there are many costs involved, however, and we are asking for your support. Financial gifts can be made via our website at www.refugeministriescanada.com or by calling 519-701-0108. Your giving makes this work possible, and we thank you in advance for your support. That's 519-701-0108. God bless you.